What's your call sign, pilot? Um, we have to go. It, it's, um, Rogue? The Rogue Ones. Rogue Ones? There is no Rogue Ones. Well, there is now. Hello and welcome to The Rogue Ones, a Star Wars and or podcast from the Playlist Podcast Network that dares you to put away the lightsabers, pick up the blasters, and see what this rebellion is really made of. I'm your co-host, Mike D'Angelo, and joining me is editor-in-chief of The Playlist, Rodrigo Perez. Together, we've been diving lightspeed into season one of Andor right along with the fans each week. We also bring on special guests from the show to discuss stepping into the beloved and contentiously debated Star Wars universe, share teases for what's to come, and even talk about favorite Star Wars films. This week, we'll be discussing the season one finale with full spoilers, and afterwards, showrunner Tony Gilroy stops by again to talk about the show and the finale, and, and just to, you know, break it down in general with Rodrigo. But before we jump into all that, I've got to tell you that The Rogue Ones is a part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes The Playlist Podcast, Bingeworthy, The Discourse, Deep Focus, Yellowstoners, The Fourth Wall, and more. We can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Anchor FM, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you find your favorite shows. Be sure to like and subscribe to the Playlist Podcast Network to get this show and all those that I just mentioned. Also drop us a rating or a comment as we always appreciate it. Okay, Rodrigo, we finally reached the end of the road for season one, Marvis Funeral, and as expected, this came with one hell of a tense, action-packed climax. Uh, last week, everyone kind of began converging on Ferrix to kill Cassian Andor. This week, we get to see if it finally plays out. Did it end matching your expectations? Yeah, I mean... What a like symphonic crescendo, you know, mm -hmm. I think crescendo is a really good way to put it just in terms of like everything's just like, you know, all roads are converging on Ferrex. And then it's like all roads are like literally converging on on Rick's road. And, you know, all these people like coming down in the middle of this funeral and it's all like it just everything, you know, and the music, God, the music is so good on this show. And the way they just yeah. sort of like build up this crescendo of tension and everything like, you know, there's there's action in this episode. There's not that much but it doesn't really matter it's it's kind of like again Mar like what show do you know that has two like monologues that like people will be quoting for for like ages you know like <laughs> like her essentially farewell message like from beyond the grave is like mm -hmm. incredible um that and in tandem with the luthan one uh, two episodes ago also i just find it like incredibly moving and uh like emotionally searing and heartbreaking like the whole thing I, one of the things I saw, you know, I loved in this episode is the boy with the bomb. Yeah, we hadn't met him before, right? I, we have, we have. His we father, did. his father, um, was someone who was tortured and and basically killed. Uh, okay. His, he's basically um like early on when Bix runs that place and there's the guy who like really runs it, like who's the owner. That's oh, that's I got you. Guy. and that kid is his son. His father's dead. He's like, he's built a bomb. That's the first thing that we see in the beginning of the episode. And then he, he lights it up like right as, you know, as, as Marva's speech is building up, he's just got like, you know, tears in his eyes and he's been so moved by her. And like, that to me is like such a great crescendo too. Such an awesome moment. Like so super emotional, super, super build up, And like that whole funeral scene is, is really just something. And the music too. And the, like that they, you know, have the real music on set with like everybody, like, you know, the funeral procession. That was really, really cool. Yeah. Shout out to Nicholas Patel again, former guest of the show. Wonderful work as always. It's a build throughout the series. And then, you know, the big speech 
Marva's big speech, and then it's just all hell breaks loose. You finally see stormtroopers, and they're firing on the town, and it's just like, it's it's crazy. There's a lot of stuff that happens in the ruckus, I suppose you would say. Deidre almost gets taken out by the community, but somehow gets swiped away by Cyril, and they just have this moment where... <laughs> The the I should say thank you, but you don't have to moment where you're just like, oh man, you let's get it on because this is some sexual tension right here. <laughs> I mean, the idea of like an imperial romance or whatever that, that turns into is pretty interesting. We've definitely never seen that kind of thing before. Um, I'm not sure if it'll exactly go there, but it's like certainly humanizing them, right? Like it's like it's really interesting the way that they sort of show those two perspectives. Yeah, I hope it kind of builds in the the next season where you kind of see them together, but maybe disagreeing and, you know, seeing what that push and pull does. That would be interesting to see. Yeah. What about, I mean, I don't want to jump right to the end here, but that last scene with Luthen and Cassian on his ship is it's just the perfect way to tie a bow on the, on Cassian's journey and the final exchange in general and on their relationship. It's a great scene. For sure. I, I What I kind of like mostly about this episode, though, is that it, it's kind of like this, this episode is not so much about Cassian. You know, like mm. if you really think about this episode, it's not really much of his point of view. We don't see his reaction to Marva's speech. You know, we see everybody else because it's like she talks about like, you know, we've been asleep because we had each other, you know, like, but we've been sleeping. She keeps talking about that. Like, it's like the idea of like the insidiousness of evil that like I, there's even a line. I think she says it's never more alive than when we sleep. Mm. And, and and she's and, and she's like, it's like the announcement in the way the the clarion call, the awakening for everybody. And. While it's just Ferrex, in a way, it's like the entire galaxy, right? The people of Ferrex represent the common man, the, the people in the galaxy who are suffering. And I love that, like, you know, she's sort of like, you know, we see everybody listening to her and that speech and getting really, really galvanized, whether it's uh, Brasso, that kid, even Luthen. When you see Luthen, you know, Tony and I talked about that, which is kind of interesting is Luthen. If you'd like watch it again and just like see his reactions to it, he's almost like, holy shit, this is happening. Like, it's like, I'm not the only one who feels this way. You know what? Like someone's like, it's like her speech is like something I could have said. He's almost like shocked, like quietly shocked when he's, he's just listening intently. And he's just, he's kind of like, almost like, like, fuck. Yeah. You know, like mm -hmm. Tony said, it is like, man, I've been playing punk rock for years and someone finally else is playing a punk rock song. You know? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, all that stuff, that's, and, and just like some of the, the cool, like, texture stuff that they build, and, and about the culture, like how, what they do with the people in the funeral, like, they essentially mm. weld them down into brick, and then they put the brick into the wall, and then you're part of a piece of Ferrix, and you'll always be there. That is so deep and meaningful. Even that scene when Cassian goes to the wall and sees uh, Clem's piece, you know, and he's reminded of a, something from Clem. That was terrific, terrifically moving. Yeah, I feel like the whole episode is kind of like, you know, getting people's point of views and ideologies. Cassian's there. He knows what he has to do, right? And he's there. It's like this episode is sort of like convincing everybody else that like, yes, you know, whether it's just Ferrix or it's the galaxy, but like, look, we have to fight. This is the call to arms. This is the moment that we're all going to step up to, you know? And so I, I find that really moving. And I find it moving in that same kind of way at the end of Rogue One where you know, everybody knows they're that they're basically on a suicide mission, but they're going to do this thing anyhow, you know? So yeah, I mean, Cassian's main mission isn't even to really go to the funeral. It's just to save Bix and get her out of there. Uh, yeah. Save who we can. And then, yeah. Yeah. And out. his plan changes midway too, because he sees Luthen, right? And then he knows like, oh fuck, this guy's coming and he's coming to kill me. So I got to like deal with this shit. And mm -hmm. 
at the end, you know, Luthen's little smile, he's like, yeah, all right, you know, he's going to have him on his, on his side. And um, I mean, you see what Cassian's done at this point. How could you not take him in, you know? Yeah. I mean, not uh, that, you know, we as viewers, we know it's going to happen, but it's still, it's it's thrilling to see that exchange and that you kind of, you're looking for Luthen to, to shoot him anyway. It's <laughs> like do or die, right? Like it's just, it's just been so brutal and everything. And he's just like, you know, either fucking kill me or like, let me join your team one or the other you know it's right. like everything's just been moved to these desperate places and it's interesting to see you know what could be like a, a team forming for cassian you know brasso the boy whose name's willem bix uh one of those women who's the daughter of ferrix for all we know you know that could be like a a team cassian squad in in the next one for all we know you know they're all there you know i was really expecting a few more deaths and stuff like that but I think the point of a lot of this stuff is, you know, when you invest in these characters, when they're when they're gone, it's really gutting. Right. And, yeah. you know, we probably will lose more of these people. But, you know, they're here. We're going to learn more about them, who they are, all that stuff. And well, um, that and there were a lot of deaths, like just community members that we didn't know. Yes. But they slaughtered yeah. a lot of people, man. Yeah. Even even what's that guy's like names? Nucci or whatever. The guy who betrays him. N- Nurchi. Right. He's the guy in episode one who's basically like, where's my money? Even that, every, like, what I love, like, all the reactions to Marva's speech, at one point he's sort of like, you can tell, he's like, fuck, I sold out Cassian and she's right. You know what I mean? And it's mm-hmm. like, it's, it's it's inspiring and moving everybody. It's like this big call to arms and uh, just the whole, the whole orchestration of that whole scene, how it all comes together, how it all builds, how it all crescendos. That's some of the finest television I've seen in, in a long time. Yeah, between this episode and just the season as a whole, it's it's one hell of a journey, one greatly written, directed, performed. You know, the music is amazing. The cinematography is amazing. It's just all it's everything is firing in all cylinders. And I can't wait to see what's going to happen with season two. We talked about some of that, me and Tony. And, you know, he, he may have uh, said some of the things that he said earlier, but you know, he really kind of teased and hinted that, you know, sort of like we said before earlier in, in our first interviews, you know, all the all the 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 people who, you know, joined the, the Rebel Alliance, like the Saws and the Luthans in the world. But like, you know, they don't make it to that, you know, the the Yavin establishment at the end of Rogue One. Right. We know that at some point Saw gets essentially kicked out. So, you know, I can't necessarily intuit that, but I did feel like maybe, you know, we got two episodes with Saw. So I feel like we're going to get at least a little bit more of that in the next one. The one thing I didn't ask that I thought was, I was like, shit, I should have asked that. But I was like, I'm just curious as to like, we've established this whole world and all these people and we don't really need too many more. But I was just curious as to like, if this is just going to be who who we've got here is going to be our main core of players and or if there's going to be like, you know, a new Cyril or a new, you know, whoever, you know. Yeah, if we learn anything from you know, this first season in that each block has almost its own kind of cast. That's true. So I they mean, could easily the Aldani, right? Like you think yeah. of the people in Aldani and some of the people we lost on there. So yeah, there could be like all kinds of factions and rebels and people who join them on missions and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that because this has been such that the long, slow build of radicalization. And again, you know, like that, the, I feel like that, like that kid, you know, he's got the bomb and he 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 lights it off right when she says them. he's been radicalized. You know, he's been they've all been pushed to their limit and now they're like you know now we're gonna fight so now i feel like it's kind of on you know and we're gonna get like four years of all this stuff leading to rogue one and i'm just really excited i you know it's probably gonna be a minute till we get it but yeah um, yeah there's some good stuff man uh this is this is really killer her speech the whole thing even b2 man like it's really heartbreaking for that character right yeah poor little b 
All right. For our listeners, all episodes of Andor are now up on Disney+. Plus. Let's get that out of the way. Let's also jump right into the conversation with Tony because, I mean, he's the one who did it all. So what better way to end our season one you know, podcast of the Rogue Ones than with the man himself? Anything you want to tee up before we jump over? The one thing I, I think I'll bring up because I think it's fair to do so is that like we talked about Cyril because I think Cyril's really interesting and we didn't talk about this, but I just wanted to acknowledge that I got that's the one thing I really got wrong about, you know, in this podcast when we talked about predictions, I always thought that somehow Cyril would go over. But then I started realizing around, you know, episode 10 or 11, like, yeah, I don't think there's enough road for that to happen. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I think he's on his own journey. Uh, yeah, Didra there for sure. And so I was I just wanted to acknowledge because we do predictions and stuff that I was pretty dead wrong about that. But uh, that's okay. You know, I, I you never know. I love that character. I I, I think he's really interesting. And uh, Tony and I talked about him. Tony and I talked about Luthen and Saw. And then yeah, just some little teases of uh, of season two. Like uh, I think you know he said there's that line in Rogue One. Tony brought it up himself about you know we've all done horrible things for the rebellion. We were spies, saboteurs, assassins. You know we couldn't live with ourselves if we didn't go through with this Rogue One mission because we've done some horrible things. And he's like, you're gonna see some of that, you know. Mm. And that was pretty cool because I mean that that line in 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 Rogue One is pretty it's pretty powerful, you know. It's Absolutely. like we, we've we've done horrible things in the name of this cause, and if we really believe in this cause, we have to go through with it. So it all ties together and. Um, yeah, man, I, I, I just can't wait. That's it's there's gonna be some really good stuff in season two. Amen. And just, you know, what a rewarding journey this has been, not only as a show, but just for us. It's been rewarding to dig into the show as deep as we've gotten to with all our guests. I mean, we've talked to Kyle Soler, Adrian Arjona, Tony Gilroy twice, Fiona Shaw, Genevieve O'Reilly, Nicholas Bertel, John Gilroy, Toby Haynes, Andy Circus, Diego Luna, Duncan Powell. And we were not planning on doing this. Can we just say that? <laughs> we thought so, about like, should we do this? Should we not do it? And, and uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, it turned out to be incredibly fulfilling. And we like, we just picked the perfect show for it because it's something that is just awesome. And we were like really, really into it. Yeah. And certainly one of my favorite things in the Star Wars universe. Oh, for sure. yes, for sure. Like by by far. I think I did bring up to Tony. I was like, you've ruined Star Wars for everybody, dude. Congratulations. <laughs> People are going to have to step up. Hopefully they do. Maybe they see it and they, they want to do other things and, you know, try. Well, that's what he said, which was interesting. He was like, you know, I'll, I'll let him say it, but it's essentially like, that's one way to look at it. But another way is that it opens up tons of other different avenues. So you never know. So that's cool. Awesome. He, had a, he had a good attitude about it all. Very cool. Well, let's jump over to that interview with Tony Gilroy for Rodrigo and myself one last time. Stay rebellious. I, you know, I'm like, where to start? But like, I, I got to start with just like, you know, just like congratulations. Man, I just watched 11 and 12 again. Such a symphonic crescendo. And I'm just struck by how emotionally searing and how gutting it all is. It just like kills me. <laughs> I love that. I think we talked earlier on. It was hard in those first rounds. You're kind of going like, you don't know how to, it sounds so sort of vainglorious. Like, well, our show is really big. You might want to like, wait, we're really, and you don't, you don't know what to say. And, <laughs> and um, so I think we had that conversation way back when. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I think it's one of the most emotionally searing and emotionally gutting things Star Wars has ever done. Like I'm great. Oh, good. I, I just, my God. And episode 12, what's the name of it, by the way? Cause I love your titles. 
Oh God, you're putting me on the spot. It's uh, uh what's the uh, what's what is it? It's uh, okay. it might be called Rick's Road. Is it Rick's Road? Oh, I'm not Rick's sure Road? what it's called. I'm not sure. Okay, go I, ahead. Yeah. I love how this episode, like you know, in many ways, it's not really about Cassian. You know, you kind of expect that, but then you realize he's already there. He his prison experience like got him to where he needs to be. This episode and this story is about it's a story of one man, but the story of one people, one galaxy galvanized radicalized, ready to stand up. It's kind of about everybody else. It's kind of about Ferrix who represents the galaxy. Is that sort of fair to say? Yeah, and it's also, I mean, it, from a from a dramatist point of view, you know, it, it certainly wasn't immediately apparent that this was going to be available, but you, you're going along and going, oh, because I had the ending way before a lot of other things. Right. And you're going like, oh, wow, man, the place that we're going to spend all this time is, you know, without some sort of manipulation or cheesy ask or you know dramatic reach around or anything it legitimately is a mirror of what ferrix is going through is really a comp for his own story and uh even if you even if you're wondering about your affection for cassian andor it's pretty hard not to have affection for ferrix and so uh you know when it when they become unified uh, they both get enhanced. Ferrix has gone through everything that Cassian has gone through, and Cassian has gone through everything that Ferrix has gone through. Yeah, and I mean, just like some of these moments, even like, you know, uh, Wilman Pock and his bomb, and it going off at kind of this, this moment that when, when Marva is, is you know, as, as like her speech is totally crescendoed, it feels like it's just like this galvanizing, like, you know, she says it, like, we need to wake up. We can't sleep anymore. Yeah, yeah. That's some that's some great stuff, man. I, I got to say, thank that, you, thank that, you, thank that, you. That thank episode you. is just so incredible. Also, even just like you know these little things, like Luthen, the way he's like listening to the speech and he's surprised, like you know this is on his mind already. But it's like someone's echoing something that he's usually saying. That he, he, he's that, so proud. He's so proud yeah. of that moment. <laughs> it's really like imagine you're like I've been telling everybody to play punk rock and no one will play it, and I went to a club and they're fucking banging it out. It's like he's just you know he's. He's at. He's very proud at that moment. I think he he almost almost sounds a little. His, his, the look on his face. He's almost a little bit like shocked too. Like oh my god, it's happening. It's yeah. it's so it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, tell me about. I mean, oh, geez, you know, like Anto Krieger. He gets just so so <laughs> done here. <laughs> I was so like loving this this build up to him and and so. Tell me about that that Luthen and Saw thing. It, it it not only that, but in you know episode ten, Luthen. I guess one of the things that was interesting to me is I didn't see so much conflict in Luthen. I thought, okay, this guy, everybody's moving to his point of view. He's just dark, and this is what he's doing. But we really, especially in that scene with Saw, we see how like how painful this is for him. Really. Yeah, I mean, look, we start the fuse for that, you know, when when Aldani happens, and yeah. you watch him get anxious with Clea, and it's like the night yeah. before the you know, his, his revolution, he's been building this in his garage for 15 years and all of a sudden it's out and it's going to be out there and everybody's going to know about it. And one of the really cool things to find was, you know, Denise Goff's character, Dedra, when she goes to the meeting the following morning after Aldani and they're, you know, they're dropping the hammer. We're going to drop the hammer on everything now. We're going to use this as a thing. And she comes out of the meeting and, and her assistant says to her, you know, why you seem upset? And she goes, well, they're treating this like it was a robbery. This is an announcement. She understands the person she's hunting in a way that not, nobody else does. And what do you do if, you, if, if your product is paranoia? How do you collaborate? How do you scale up? <laughs> yeah. How do you scale up secrecy? How do you how do you take that out of the garage? And how do you play with other people? And we spent plenty of time. We've made our case. Cassian Andor has become 
He's gone from being a, you know, a self-interested, disillusioned, you know, roach into a, into yeah. a committed revolutionary by the end. That's not going to be in doubt. So over the next four years, that in the second half, we'll be dealing with, you know, we're going to end up in Yavin with this yeah. rebel alliance. And that rebel alliance is kind of a really messy, you know, there's heroes in there and there's losers in there and there's wannabes in there. It's a really messed up. It's like any political coalition. Right. It's even just like what happened in Aldani. That was messy, too. Right. No, but like, yeah, but think about it over the next. What happens? What happens to Saw Guerrero? What happens to the original gangsters? What happens to all of the real hardcore maniacs who built it? Are they yeah. welcomed in? How do you do that? That that's one of the things that we're really going to be exploring. And and what Luthen says in 10 is true that he's not that's no game there. That's really he's opening a vein. Uh, there's no I'm not I'm not I'm never going to undercut what he says in there. But how do you go forward, man? How do you do that? That's been true all through history. I mean, you know, I'm cherry picking from 3000 years of revolutions and, right. and all kinds of history. But if you want a comp, go look at Russia in 1916 and look at how the look at how all the factions chew each other up as much as they go after the czar. I mean, they're fighting each other as hard as they're fighting, you know, the power. Yeah. I think you have that well represented between Luthen and Saw, right? And 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 Yeah. They have more in common. They as much as they have as many problems as they have and may have, they understand that they they have a common problem. Yeah, and it gets even more deep and searing with what they both essentially agree on what to do with with Krieger. And that's such a like, you know, call it war, call it what you want. It's like, oh, so Oh man, it's it's so gutting. They're like ripped, but you know they are not really showing it. But they're like ripped apart. It's it's amazing. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. You know one one thing I've heard a lot is that you've ruined Star Wars for everybody now. <laughs> like people are like, I'm not going back to those teddy bears, man. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the goal is not. We were talking the other day about all the lanes that could be open. I mean, I hope I'm opening a lane to a three camera Star Wars sitcom. I hope people have <laughs> enough imagination to like take the big lesson, which is like, the big lesson isn't, oh, you got to do it this way or this hard or this real. The big lesson is just don't do the same fucking thing again. That's right. all. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think that's totally true, especially because like this still like it's, you know, at first I was like, oh, this is born from Rogue One, but it's still drastically different. <laughs> you know, like, oh, you, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, no, it's, it is. No, it's a totally different thing. Tell me about Cyril, too, because that's a character. I'm not sure if you've been paying attention to some of the conversations online, but it, it's like a character that's confounded a lot of people. And I love Cyril, but I didn't see where this was quite going at the end. So just tell me, like, you know, I think people are like, I don't know. I, I see him as such a guy with such a need for like direction and purpose. And, and that could go in so many different places. Absolutely. But Beyond all the freaking affirmation and all the rest of that, almost as exciting or sidebar is watching the conversations and, and the, the controversies that people have and discussions about <laughs> it. I, you know, I've heard people describe him as a fascist and I don't, I see him as, as you said, unformed. And I think he's one of those people that the terror is chaos. Yeah. The terror is disorder. Yeah. And you've seen his childhood, certainly you've seen his, his, he's a, terrified of chaos and he doesn't understand if you make rules why don't you follow them and why can't things be right there was a movie i love this movie uh from years ago called max that was about young hitler that mm. uh i never saw that movie with john cusack's in i know it. the one you're talking about i haven't seen it yeah and like it's and i don't know if it's how true it is or not but it it, it goes at this issue in a really fundamental way which is that you're meeting Hitler when he's like completely unformed. It's after the war and he could be a painter or he could go. He's a great public speaker in the beer halls. And the thesis of the movie is he doesn't really 
know or care. And he just goes like water where he's liked. I find Cyril to be unformed and Dedra represents a lot of things that are attractive to him. Now, I think her worldview is different, but, yeah. <laughs> but, but I don't, I don't see him at this point as a fascist. I see him as a, as a seeker. Right. He needs order. He needs direction. He needs, yeah, and exactly. the provides that, right? It will. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly what you're teasing, but like the idea of like an imperial romance too, like that's something we've definitely never seen. That could be amazing. <laughs> well, fingers crossed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, tell me about, you know, I, I really lit up when I saw Melshi. I thought that was really cool in episode 10. And obviously that, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, Andy is that, that stuff's really great, you know, pointing towards the future and, and pointing towards where all these roads meet. I really loved that. Tell me about including him and all that. Uh, yeah, I just, uh, I got to know Duncan on, on Rogue. He was an add-in on Rogue and spent time talking to him. And he's, he was sort of a, yeah, I won't go into that. I love the character and um, you know, he's going to end up there in Yavin. Well, where did they meet? You know, I mean, look, uh, uh, there's a scene with Diego that we did where it's in the, it's in the hangar at the end and Felicity comes out of the thing and says, they're not going to, they're not going to go through with it. And he's got this whole band of guys behind him. And he goes, look, we have been killing, betraying, sabotaging, yeah. you know, destroying our moral fabric over the last years. And we've done everything. And if we don't do this, then everything's been for naught. And yeah. let's see some of that come together. Oh, that's good. Because that's, <laughs> I love that line. And, I, you know, it's just so like, we've done these horrible things. It's like, you kind of want to see them, like what the immoral things that they have to do for this cause, right? It's like, well, we've seen some of them already, haven't right. we? Yeah, for sure. And what seems like really interesting is it like it feels like there's a a nascent crew building there with, you know, um, Brasso and Bix and and Willman. Like it feels like that's almost like could be uh, Cassian's new team or something to begin with. Stay tuned. Is is it surprising to you that like, you know, I don't want to go into the fan stuff too much because I personally don't even care either. But you know, like there's a lot of people like, okay, so like there's like Jedi artifacts at the back of of one scene with uh, uh, Luthen and his, uh, you know, mausoleum or whatever. <laughs> there's like, there's some Jedi artifacts and people look at that and they're like, oh, is that teasing? And I'm like, you're not, I think that's fun stuff, but that's not really the show. What do you think about some of the specul the wild speculation? <laughs> I love it. I have my hand in every, I have my hand in all of the large, I mean, I'm in control of all the large canonical decisions, you know, mm -hmm. and, and we deal with, we deal with Pablo Hidalgo, who you probably know, and, yep, you know, at, at, at Lucasfilm and uh, for the large issues, I, I have a very deep understanding of the five years that I'm curating and what's on the calendar and what's important. I know all the levels of canon all through the Wikipedia and all the various things. I know what I have to pay attention to. I know what I can ignore. I get deeply involved in props and ships and, you know, the provenance of all these things and making sure we're proper with uniforms and all the rest of it. But all that said, when it comes to doing Luthen's Gallery, I'm like, well, this looks cool. That doesn't look cool. Well, the art department, we have a lot. We have we have a good, healthy mix of complete non-Star Wars people. And we have a deep geek bench all the way through <laughs> our 700 people that work for us at Pinewood. And I love finding out what they've slipped in here and there. So it's, some of it's news to me. So right. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, that stuff's cool because it just adds like texture. And yeah. Fun. So. Yeah, it's very pleasing that. Yeah, I, I I heard a report of some of the the, the directors you're bringing for season two, and and I was like, wow, these are some really heavy hitters. Like that, like that Alonzo uh, Ruiz Palacio guy. My God, that, that guy's he's amazing. I'm very happy. It's really hard that man. It's really hard. The director thing is really hard because there's right. so much. 
you think, oh my God, well, it's in the beginning, I thought it's gonna be easy, but it was hard because of COVID in the beginning and yeah. uh, you know, everything had to be local and it all, they had all these uh, different layer, but in general, there's so many shows and there's so much opportunity and there's so much, you know, heavy opportunity out there. It is a, it's a ruthless sweepstakes to try to get people involved. Everybody's fighting mm -hmm. for the same people. So it really, I'm really happy. We have two directors in Pinewood right now. We start shooting on Monday and, and, wow. and Ari Kleinman, Ari Kleinman is fully prepped. He's been prepping since June. I'm really wow. like, I don't have to, I don't have to have a sub. Usually I have a Sunday conversation with the directors. I don't have to talk to him tomorrow. He's ready to go on Monday. And, and Janusz uh, Metz is there and he's starting to prep and that team is up and ready. I'm very pleased with who we got. Um, and Ari's going to come back and do, he'll do six episodes for us. Cause you, you can't physically do, the directors can only do one block physically. Cause it's like four or five months prep and three yeah. months of shooting and everything else you can't, but you can do the first block we shoot and you can do the last block we shoot. And that's what Toby Haynes did for us the first time. And um, this time Ari Kleinman's going to do that. So, and uh, Giannis will come in and do the second block we shoot and Alonzo will come in and do the third block. But man, it's every showrunner who's a producer who's listening to this knows exactly what I'm talking about, man. It is hard out there. If your requirements are, you know, you got to know how to fly a 747, it becomes even harder. You can't really take a whole lot of chances in Star Wars, you know? <laughs> right. It, yeah, it's not fair. To, it's not fair to us. It's not fair to anybody. So it's like, that was, I was naive about that. I was, the difficulty of that is, was really, uh, and then you have to watch everything. You know, you're shopping for directors. So you end up, you end up chasing down 15 people that you're never going to get. And you have to watch all their shit, you know? <laughs> and you have to watch all the ones that you didn't like. So you're just watching, watching, watching and speed watching. And oh my God, what does he know how to do? What does she know how to do? What does this do? What is it, you know, it's, oh man, it's tough. What did you guys learn from like writing the first season? Um, you know, the three of you, I guess. Uh, and 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 did you, are, are there things that you learned that you're taking into two that make you feel like more, I don't know, just supercharged? Well, you know what they always say, you know, the, you jump out of a plane the first time, you don't know what you're in for. Right. <laughs> it's, it's the second jump that's the really scary one. There's the terror of knowing how, you know, and I'm not, I'm not complaining. I'm not whining. I do not want to <laughs> come off that way at all. But it is a motherfucker, man, of work. It's just fucking, it's a lot of shit to do. And it never ends. And there's never a day off. So you know what you're going for. And you know what you have to put into it. We have the benefit of knowing we only have to do it one more time. And we have the tremendous, the tremendous wind at our back of having built a community there. Zana Wallenberg, Luke Hall, John Gilroy, Owen Leo, Nick Bertel. I mean, I could go down the list of yeah, just yeah, no, these guys are great. We absolute obsessive, crazy, dedicated people who if you let the you give them room and you give them just enough money and you make everybody know that they're a filmmaker with you. I left there on Friday afternoon and you know, it's the weekend before you start shooting and there's that real, you know, that that real gut check and everybody everybody knows that if nothing else we are we know how to do it. All we have to try to do is not be too happy about what we've already done and and do try to do it again. You know, it's funny. One of the things I keep constantly hearing and, and like, I kind of know the answer to it, but people are like, man, I can't wait for him to do more. I can't wait for him to like do something else. And I'm like, do you know how exhausting this is? <laughs> and so my question is like, would you consider staying in the Star Wars universe or would you like, people are like, he has to at least consult. <laughs> what do they say in the prison? What's, what do they chant on the way out? 
One Way Out. In fact, right, that's what right. that episode's title. We had t-shirts made up that said One Way Out. I have to get, <laughs> my markers will be probably late February or March. I will have finally finished all the rewrites on all the scripts. Everything will be deadlocked. You know, I'd be writing every single day until March, tightening, doing all the stuff we do. I won't have to come up with another season, which was just this enormous pressure before, so it never ended. And maybe my fantasy is that in March or February, I'll be able to like at least step back and be somewhat of a, of a more normal existence and do the next year of post and all the rest of the stuff. And after that, I couldn't possibly tell you what I would do. Boy, that would be the dumbest answer I could make. I have no clue. You got your little teaser at the end, which I think was pretty cool because we see those parts from the uh, Narkina 5 that are that are part of the, the Death Star weapon. That's pretty cool. Um, you know, we know it's going there, but like there's got to be a, you know, we that can't be your end game in a way and because we know that stuff, right? So it's like more about, I feel like that a lot of this show is about like, you know, the emotional cost of where we got to right now, right? And there was for huge for everybody, even for like Mothma with her daughter and all this stuff. Is it fair to say that that's going to kind of like be the lift or the, the big part of season two? Like, you know, it's not Death Star again. We know what happens with that. It's like the emotional cost of how all these people get to that place. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's the effect of time on all these people and the and the the attrition. And as I said before, about how do you play with each other and how do you work with each other? But the the Easter egg at the end is not just, it's fun. It's yeah. cool. It, yeah. and, and it was, you know, and, and a lot of people picked up on what it was already. It didn't turn out to be so much of a secret. Right. Um, it's confirmation, but there's another element of it that uh, that's there for me. Cassian Andor isn't, I mean, he's kind of Zelig, not in the way that he's a shapeshifter right. like Zelig, but he is in an incredible number of places legitimately that have some synchronicity. He does Aldani, which causes his sentence to be, causes yeah. him to go to prison where he ends up making this part that he doesn't even know what it is to a thing he'll never know until it's the thing that actually kills him. Right. You know, yeah. That's just one. That's just one of the things that I don't want to get pixie dust about it. And I don't, it's certainly not something I want to, uh, and, and and whatever we explore like that will be very lightly handled, but there's an element of destiny here. Yeah, I totally feel that. I mean, the, we got to think the second season is like these big moments of not only his history, but the galaxy's history. So yeah, he's there for a lot of that stuff. Well, you know, I got to wrap up. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, I really, truly do love this show. I, I the uh, man, the, the ending is just really masterful and uh, it's uh, really symphonic and, and this crescendo is just so uh, inspiring. I don't know. I can't wait for more. <laughs> no, man. And thank you. Cause you've been, you, look, man, I've been talking to you for a long time. So, yeah. uh, I mean, you know, the ride and, uh, what a thing. I mean, if you asked me, we probably had some really depressing conversation a few years ago. I think I had a movie shot out from under me and like, what are you fucking doing? And right, right, what's going yeah. on? And like, yeah. man, to be this old and this <laughs> far down the road and have get to do something like this is like, I didn't feel lucky. I did not feel lucky while we were in it. If you asked me a year ago, I'd be like, oh my God, what the fuck did I do? But yeah. I feel really, really lucky that I had a chance to stay healthy enough and strong enough and had enough great people around and, and the moment, you know, you got to catch a moment and movie business is so much about catching a moment. You either catch it or you don't. And, uh, 
you you've seen it you you've seen me in all phases i think <laughs> yes definitely i mean you caught this moment you caught this moment also on just many levels too i think you know this ending right where the midterms are like man this is just like this is is really really touching me you know yeah getting lucky is really where it's at yeah you got you know, like that it's all the cliches you got to show up and you got to make your own luck but you got to get lucky well let's talk again season 2 because i cannot wait i know it's going to be a while Always uh, a pleasure to talk to you. You just yeah, reach out whenever you need anything. All, All right, right, man. Thank you.